umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast in this edition we're going to return to the by the numbers clint derringer's uh great feature discussing the sb plus and today we're going to go through the michigan football season preview well, Clint, what did the numbers tell us to look for in the upcoming season? Well, the the numbers are as confused as anybody else is about what all of the, the craziness is going to add up to at the end. And nobody knows what the rosters are going to look like from game to game, from week to week. We still don't know what the what the rosters and starting lineups are going to look like for the Minnesota game in, in a few days. So, uh with all of those caveats uh, kind of at the front end, um, Bill Connolly's SP plus system expects Michigan to go four and four uh, for the eight game reduced season, big 10 only um, based on, on his, his metrics that analyzes the, the five factors and uh, adjusts for opponents and, and tempo. So what he produces is kind of a win percentage or expected win percentage, um, and he uh, w- when you take Michigan's expected win percentage in, in all eight games, um, their expected win total is somewhere between four and five. So when he rounds it, uh, he's expecting a four and four season for Michigan. Clint, when you talk about the SP plus, what are the five factors that he's considering? The five factors start with efficiency. Number one, efficiency can be thought of like a uh, staying on course for a first down. It's getting 50% of the yardage on first down, 75% of the yardage on second down, and 100% on third and fourth down. That's the biggest weighted factor of the five is, is efficiency, that success rate on whether you're staying on track to keep moving the chains. Uh, after that is explosiveness. That's um, both yards per play, you know, big chunks of yardage in your plays, and then also when you're successful, how explosive are your, your successful plays. Um, so those metrics roll into an explosive uh, explosiveness metric. Then finishing drives, this is a big one uh, that I think gets missed uh, by a lot of metric systems. This is every time that you have a first down inside your opponent's 40. So you cross the 40 and have a fresh set of downs, those are scoring opportunities. And then how how many points are you putting up per scoring opportunity? Um, that one, to me, is very telling and also uh, underanalyzed by a lot of the national pundits. Then the fourth factor is field position. You know, starting, what is your starting yard line? Uh, turnovers can have a big effect on your starting yard line, and, but mostly it's uh, your kick coverage and kick returns punt coverage and punt returns kind of giving some uh a head nod to the kicking game and then the last bit is is kind of a it's kind of a gray area some of the intangibles uh mental mistakes and and some of those things um the things that are measurable in that bucket would be uh turnovers and and penalties and, and just plain old dumb luck right an oblong football bounces the wrong way sometimes uh, a batted pass sometimes goes to your uh, teammate for an interception. Sometimes it goes to the other team for uh, you know a long touchdown. So 
he, he tries to quantify, you know, some of those luck and, and mental uh, edge type factors. So how accurate has uh, Bill Connolly been as far as Michigan goes the last few seasons? Last year, just picking the winner, um, week to week, the, the system, his number system, picked the correct winner in all 13 Michigan games. Um, that was, I thought that that was uncanny. I mean, some of it is very close, kind of on a knife's edge um, last year, but as far as his system goes, whoever he said was going to win ended up winning the game, winning the game uh, against the spread, which is what really his, uh, his entire system is built around. Um, his preseason numbers were seven and five against the spread. If you were to just take his preseason preview article and bet those games, uh, according to that, you'd have been seven and five. If you read his pregame analysis, you'd have gone seven and six. So he's really, right between 50 and 60% uh, against the spread. So you can tell that there's some error and some absolute error there. Um, but again, the fact that it pointed to the correct winner all 13 times last year, it was impressive to me. And then in 2018, uh, his preseason uh, system was only wrong one time. He, in 2018, he picked Michigan State to win in East Lansing in the preseason and of course Michigan won that game um 21 to 7 so that's it he's had one in his preseason articles he's gotten one game wrong uh, over the past two seasons which is um uncanny to me so how do we set up for the upcoming season well for me i i think that there are some some facets within the the metrics and within the numbers that um, may be misleading, especially uh, preseason. Um, I'm not sure how he's accounting for folks that opted out. Um, for example, uh, when did he uh, kind of finalize his returning production numbers? I would imagine he had the opportunity to take those folks like Nico Collins off of Michigan's roster, uh, Michael Parsons off of Penn State's roster. So I would imagine he was able to make those updates um, as as that craziness kind of shook itself out. But there's some questions there. Obviously, like I mentioned before, uh, people that have to sit out games this year, it's really tough to foresee, and that's not not public information. Um, so so there's that as well. But I I think that a, a big part of why Michigan, I think personally, the numbers are underrating. Michigan is he's still really fluctuating on what home field advantage is going to mean. Um, he, he does normally has a weight in his system for the home team um, to get bumped uh, maybe one, two, two and a half points in the end results. He kind of took that down to almost nothing because the most folks were going to be playing in empty stadiums. And then as the first couple weeks started to actually produce some results and we saw games on TV and in person, uh, it, it did seem like there was actually a, a home field advantage, even with small or, or, or non-existent crowds. So he's, he's starting to work some of that home field advantage in. For me, when I look at it, uh, the schedule, and especially Michigan, the way that they play between home and the road, I don't think um, – the away 
fans or, or noise or environment is quite as big a deal as the ability to prepare while traveling or just having a 53-man roster, uh, travel roster, as opposed to your full 110 um, or so players and on your home sideline. So to me, it's more about the preparation and the travel that's involved between home and road. Um, but I think we'll see this year. The, it'll be an interesting experiment to see uh, how Michigan performs uh, away from the big house as opposed to in Ann Arbor um, because we'll be able to kind of remove the, the whole atmosphere um, from the equation. So it'll be interesting to see that. I Again, I think that his system is discounting an empty big house and saying that Michigan's not going to be as good at home as they normally are, I think they still will be because they, they have a significant amount of comfort um, when they don't have to travel uh, for those big games. You know, it's interesting to evaluate why exactly does a team have a home team at a home field advantage? And, you know, is it the fans or is it, uh, you know, more uh, comfortable surroundings, a more regular routine. You know, we've talked a lot over the last several years that Michigan always seems to uh, struggle a little bit more on the road than we would like to see. So it'll be interesting if uh, when they go on the road to Minnesota and other places, if uh, the lack of fans does make that big of a difference or if, again, if it's just the comfort of being in your regular surroundings and and such as, uh, as we've seen uh, with some of the teams playing this year. So uh, we've heard uh, Bill Connolly's predictions. Um, let's uh, go game by game and, and see how you th- think things will stack up. How do you feel about uh, Michigan heading to Minnesota, and what does the S&P say uh, heading in? Well, I, I put this in my article, but it does give me a somewhat of an eerie feeling um, this week one night game on the road feels a lot like 2018 when when Michigan started out in South Bend against uh, Notre Dame. Um, if you remember, if you can kind of go back in time to how we thought that offseason, there were big question marks along the O-line going into that game. Had a new quarterback, Shea Patterson, taking over and playing a, a big-time opponent on the road at night, uh, national audience. So a lot of similarities there. Um, the SP plus system had that pretty much. It was less than a point. It was a, a you know decimal points of difference in that game. Pretty much a toss up. And the the original preseason numbers this year also had it as kind of a toss up. So a lot of similarities there. I personally think Michigan's going to be able to pull that game out and, and win the game. Um, Minnesota's defense isn't good enough, um, in my opinion, to stop. Uh, Michigan's running game. I think uh, Harbaugh and Gaddis are going to rely pretty heavily on the run game, uh, try to get their offensive line to gel and get into a rhythm, uh, similar to what we saw last year against Notre Dame and and Michigan State at home, where they want to start trying to kind of roll and run the ball and then maybe open up some easy throws for for Joe Milton um, to to stay in rhythm and and create some separation. by, by being successful on the ground first. So I think that, that Michigan will be able to run the ball successfully, and that's the biggest thing. Um, coming back the other way, I think uh, Michigan's defense 
really needs a, a great performance out of their defensive line, or at least the front seven, depending on how Don Brown decides to create pressure on Minnesota's quarterback. Um, because if, if they're allowing deep shots to uh, Rashad Bateman uh, against this young secondary that's got a lot of flux after Ambry Thomas uh, opted out, then, then there could be some trouble uh, if, if they're not creating that kind of pressure or uh, successfully defending a lot of RPOs that Minnesota likes to run. So to me, sit back, don't let them hit the big uh, little bit of bend, don't break on defense. Um, try to create some pressure on the quarterback with your front four or maybe one extra rusher. But uh, I, I really don't want to see uh, Rashad Bateman singled up and, and being a deep threat uh, and, and an outlet for, for Tanner Morgan. So I expect Michigan to win by about four. I think the score that I picked in my article was 34 to 30. Um, and that would mean that Michigan covers right now. I think they're currently a, a three and a half point favorite. Well, it's interesting. I like the point you make about Michigan trying to get the run game started, considering how deep they are at running back and how you have a newly formulated offensive line. You know, offensive linemen love run blocking, and that may be a good way to to break them in and get them some rhythm. And Michigan uh, can definitely roll several running backs deep uh, at the Gophers. So it'll be interesting to see if that works out. The other thing I like about that is, you know, you might be able to control the clock and keep their offense off the field. So uh, I, I like the prediction. Boy, I, I hope it turns out that way. And, and uh, I like your thought process so far. So um, assuming that uh, here's hoping that Michigan can pull off the win on the road. Uh, what do you foresee uh, when they return home to face Michigan State? Well, I if you, we throw back to some of the previous conversations we've had, all of this craziness leading into the or leading through the off season uh, was really going to be um, really going to highlight the programs and the teams that were well coached and were creative in the way that they were teaching their philosophies and their concepts and reaching out to the bottom of their roster to create depth. And the flip side of that coin is programs that are have a lot of turnover especially on the coaching staff are going to be at a major disadvantage of course they didn't get spring ball to kind of introduce and evaluate um, their guys they you know had the, the whole delay through the summer um, and then when the season got canceled um, you know a lot of folks left town <laughs> you know not only the programs that had a lot of consistency and had a schedule that was or a routine that was kind of built, kind of stayed in town and kept rolling. I think that where the programs had a lot of questions, they let their guys go home. So Michigan State uh, in week two in the big house, I think, is, is just at a huge disadvantage. I think uh, I know that that game's going to be emotional, always is. I know that it'll probably stay closer than, than I'm comfortable with early on, but uh, eventually um, Michigan's going to pull away in that one. I, I predicted that Michigan would win by, by two and a half scores. I, I think something like 31 to 14, um, accounting for you know the kitchen sink coming early on from the Spartans, but they won't be able to, to hold up for all four quarters. Definitely a tough task for Mel Tucker in his first season. As you said, all the off uh, 
off the field drama and and uh, off season drama with COVID is not the way you want to launch a new program or a new regime as a coach. And he definitely is going to have his his uh, his task uh, a difficult one ahead. And you know it, uh, this is another one that will be interesting because. Um, as you know, having gone to many Michigan, Michigan State games, both in Lansing and in the big house, you normally get a fair amount of fans from both schools, uh, you know, in both locations. So it'll be interesting how this, how, uh, how rough this game is with no fans and uh, no one to egg either team on moving forward. So definitely going to be interesting. I, it's going to be really bizarre to see, uh, the big house is as empty as we're anticipating it. Um, you know, another thing that's going to impact it is that up here in uh, Washtenaw County has just declared a two-week lockdown for all students. So in addition to, uh, you know, regular attendance being cut down, I got to believe that um, there will be a minimum of minimum people who are going to show up anyway. Like, I got to believe that whatever extra student workers are going to be around the stadium or we're going to be around the stadium are going to be cut dra- cut back drastically, um, you know, uh, to, in response to the, to the, to the lockdown. So going to definitely be a weird situation. Um, hopefully that lockdown will, uh, help, uh, people on campus get a handle on the COVID outbreak that they've been having. And hopefully, uh, we're on the path to, to recovery because uh, this is definitely a suboptimal way to, to head into a football season. So um, uh, your predictions have Michigan being 2-0. and And then uh, next up would be the Indiana Hoosiers. How do you see that one playing out? Well, I, I put this in the article also, but I've heard and, and read a lot about Indiana on the road being somewhat of a trap game. Um and that's, of course, understandable coming off a rivalry game with Michigan State, maybe looking ahead to a big game with Wisconsin at home. Um, it makes sense on paper. But, I mean, Indiana was in the, the mother of all trap game spots for the last few years, being in the, the 11th game right before Ohio State. And, and Michigan's been sharp. Uh, also, I think uh, I, I kind of tip my cap a little bit to Tom Allen. Not only has he really instilled – uh, a really tough attitude and physical brand of football there in Bloomington, but also um, the SP plus metrics are kind of recognizing that they're pretty balanced. They're no longer, you know, uh, up and down the field, score a lot of points, but don't, don't play defense kind of the, the big 12 model. But um, this year they're, they're in the thirties, both offensive and defensively. So he's, he's building some balance. He's got some depth in his program and, and they're going to, they're going to have Michigan's full attention um, as they have for the last two or three seasons. I, I really think that Michigan will be okay in that game. Um, but, you know, I think their quarterback, Michael Penix or Penix and, uh, and Wapfilier, the, the receiver, I think they still are going to cause some problems uh, against uh, Michigan's defense. You know, having two weeks uh, of game film to kind of download what Don Brown is doing um, they're going to have some stuff ready for that young secondary, and I think that Indiana will put some points on the board. So I've got Michigan winning 35-20. to 20. I think that it could be tighter than everybody's comfortable with, but it won't be for uh, lack of preparation. I think they'll be ready to go right away in that game. I wonder with the condensed schedule, 
if the uh, prototypical trap games still exist, right? When I think of a trap game, I kind of think of, hey, you're playing, you know, 11 or 12 games and, and you kind of lull off and, and, you know, look to the future. With with such an abbreviated schedule and, and you know, all the drama of perhaps there not being a season and one of the things that we're hearing pretty consistently from the players and the coaches is how thankful they are to be playing. However it happened, whatever happens with this, uh, however the schedule laid out, everyone is really, really excited and chomping at the bit to play. Um, one thing that I'm anticipating is to see, hopefully, eight complete games, right? I don't think we're going to see, um, you know, as we mentioned, you don't, you didn't have the preparation that you would have liked uh, in the spring. You didn't have a typical camp. So I'm really expecting coaches on both sides to be playing a full fourth quarters, and perhaps uh, even if one team gets a little bit of a lead, um, seeing um, you know different guys get into the game because as Coach Harbaugh said, everybody has to be ready. They have to coach the entire roster because you don't know what's going to happen if players. Uh, get restricted due to COVID. So it'll be interesting to see if we see different game planning than in past seasons. Yeah, I, I agree. That's That'll probably play itself out. We'll understand that a little bit better. But, um, you know, these are still still kids, right? Still 18 to 22-year-old college students. Um, so, so the trap game and, and the lack of attention span, I'm sure is still heavy on the mind for, for the coaching staff. I just, I have confidence that Indiana put enough fear into uh, Harbaugh in 2017 with that overtime game that, um, that they're going to have their full attention for, for the time being and, and moving forward. So next up on the schedule, a huge, huge game versus Wisconsin. At the big house, at the empty big house, how do you see this one shaking out? Well, this one feels, um, you know, I, I don't have a great feeling going into this game. Uh, I think it's, in terms of where it lands on the schedule, I think it's problematic. Um, you know, you've you've got a road game at Minnesota where you're going to have to kind of scratch and claw to win a close game. You know, you're not going to be able to hold a lot back. Same thing, I think, at Indiana. So I, I don't think that there will be many tricks um, kind of waiting in the bag for Josh Gaddis or for, for Don Brown. So that's problematic. I think uh, seeing Wisconsin really dominate the interior line, both offensively and defensively last year in Madison, um, was discouraging. And I don't, think that there, I don't think that there's a fix for that that happened uh, in this offseason, I think. Michigan's D-line, interior D-line, is still one of their biggest question marks. And uh, they're the youngest on the offensive, or, or least experienced on the offensive interior. So uh, all of those problems, I, I don't know that Michigan has fixed it uh, in comparison to Wisconsin last year. And that defense uh, that Wisconsin had last year was, was very, very good. Ended up ranking in the top 10 for SB Plus at the end of last year and returns a lot of the, the production from that defense. So I think Michigan's going to have some trouble scoring in that game. Um, hopefully I'm, I'm wrong about that, and, and hopefully uh, Michigan can play above those things. Again, uh, in the past, Wisconsin or Michigan's played very well against Wisconsin at home. 
with the atmosphere uh, of the big house kind of behind them but but losing that little bit of uh a little bit of oomph I don't think is going to help either. I, I got Michigan losing by a, a touchdown, something like uh, 23 to 17 uh, to Wisconsin in week four. So this is one game that I was kind of surprised by um, what the SB plus had. Okay. And I guess what I'm saying is I look back at, so Michigan, Michigan state, the SB plus had Michigan by 10. And I look at that and I go, well, Michigan state is in disarray and, and they really, they're contending with a lot, right? I can understand that. When I see this, um, you know, the SB Plus having Wisconsin by 7.7 points, that that seems like a huge gap to me. And, um, and again, the numbers are the numbers, which is, which is what we like to say. But I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I really hope that it's, it's not that big of a gap. You know, I hope when this game is over, if Michigan can't somehow pull out a victory, I hope that it's a, a more closely fought battle than that SB plus number makes me feel. Um, and again, I, I have to agree with you. I think it's going to be a really tough, a really tough game for, for Michigan. Um, you know, when you consider that Wisconsin historically always has an outstanding offensive line, I think that's going to negate uh, the strength that Michigan has on the defensive line a little bit. And, uh, I really think for Michigan to have a great chance in this, they're really going to have to have the offensive, the offense firing on all cylinders. And, um, you know, if if uh, if Joe Milton is everything that his teammates seem to say that he is, hopefully we'll have a chance. But uh, preseason without having uh, having seen him really put in a lot of time at quarterback, I can understand this prediction and hopefully uh, reality will play out differently. Yeah, real quickly, I, I I definitely think that they have a chance to win that game, of course. Um, and, and there's another X factor also that uh, Wisconsin starting quarterback, returning starting quarterback, uh, Jack Cohn, had uh, a foot injury in fall camp and had to have surgery. He may still be out in the fourth game. He may be out for the, the whole season. It's, it's really unclear, of course, right now. So um, that game could be a, a, a really low-scoring kind of, slobber knocker type similar to the iowa game from last year that was what 10-3 i think last year michigan beat iowa it could look like that that that's certainly possible and and then it it comes down to who's going to make um the critical plays uh for for each side and and michigan needs some playmakers to step up on both sides of the ball and make make some critical plays and i think that game um is going to be one of the first opportunities to to see who's going to step up into that role and make the the real critical plays in the second half that uh, end up deciding the outcome. One of the reasons I feel really good about Michigan heading into this season is how strong we are on the defensive line. You know, Aiden Hutchinson, Christopher Hinton, Carlo Kemp, and Quiddy Pay are are all going to be just just monsters, right? But when I look at Wisconsin and Ohio State, I know we're jumping a little ahead to Ohio State. Those are the two teams who I think have the best chances of countering our, our defensive line, and and that worries me. So, uh, again, uh, I didn't mean to imply that you didn't think Michigan had a chance. I, I just, I'm just i just looking at the numbers that the SP Plus says, and I was just really surprised at the gap and hoping that, uh, that Michigan can, can hopefully pull it out and, uh, you know, surprise, shock the world, surprise everybody. So... 
We follow up Wisconsin with with Rutgers. Um, not much to say here. Uh, how do you see that one playing out? Well, your your comment earlier about whether there's actually a, a trap game that exists uh, in the in the condensed schedule. I think this will be the the test, even more so than that Indiana game. Traveling to Piscataway is a, is kind of a crappy trip, <laughs> especially if they're not flying. If they've got a bus for whatever reason, all the way to, to Rutgers, that's a, that's a long ride. Um, I, I kind of expect them to be a little bit flat in that game. Um, that game in the fifth game of the season is crammed in between Wisconsin and Penn State. So um, I do expect a little bit of a, a slow start there, perhaps. Um, but the talent gap between Michigan and Rutgers is, is too wide for it to, to really linger for too long. I, I think I ended up picking up uh, Michigan scoring over 40 points, something like 41 to 10. Um, I, I just don't think Rutgers has the firepower to, to really scare Michigan in that game. Definitely agreed. And, uh, you know, when you talk about a, you know, a potential trap game, this is the kind of game that you want to get in, get your win and get your starters out of the game as quickly as possible. Hopefully you don't, uh, lose anybody to an injury or this year COVID. So uh, again, hopefully uh, Michigan can go on the road and get up early, uh, get some uh, second and third string guys, some reps, and uh, you can't count any any game as an easy victory, but we can hope that this one is won. So after that, well, Penn State. And uh, as you were as we were talking before this, Penn State has a lot of hype going in. How do you see this one shaking out? I feel similarly about this game as I felt uh, in 2018 and a little bit last year in 2019. I, I don't think Penn State has an edge on Michigan in, in really any season. And, and I underrated them when Saquon Barkley was a, was a senior. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that, that I had them uh, pegged wrong on that one. But the other the other five seasons that I've been kind of paying attention to, uh, to James Franklin, I don't see them being the top tier, um, elite program, um, that's capable of really standing toe to toe with Ohio state. I think the game where they, uh, they blocked and returned a blocked field goal to beat Ohio state in 2016. And then that crazy shootout in the Rose bowl against SC. I think those were fun to watch, but, that was more about um, a very good offensive coordinator and a real difference maker in Saquon Bartley. So, well, so with that said, I, I think Penn State is overrated by the system. Uh, I think SP Plus picked them by eight points or maybe nine points. Um, I, I think Michigan's going to win by a touchdown. Basically, I think Michigan is is about a score better than Penn State, and, and I think Wisconsin's about a score better than than Michigan. So. Uh, I think score-wise, I picked 27 to 21. Um, that's similar to what I picked in 2018, and and Michigan blew them out of the water. So I, I could see that happening again. I just I think Michigan's better than Penn State, and I, and if both teams play to their capability, then I, I think Michigan will win um, pretty clearly. You pulled out a great stat in your article that Michigan has outscored Penn State 91 to 17 under under Jim Harbaugh and I don't think um, there's a team that I perceive to be as different 
uh, on the road or at home versus Michigan differently than Penn State, right? Um, Penn State really has not played well here. And uh, as opposed to, you know, you could look back at, at the game where, you know, really, you know, if, if Ronnie Bell catches that ball, um, you know, it's not saying that Michigan's going to win, but you, you have a very good chance of, of having a different result. And the thing that I think back about uh, at that last game is how pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong for Michigan, right? Um, some questionable calls, some tough plays, and they still, with you know time running out, had a chance to tie the game. So it's interesting when I look at that, you know, back at that game, I don't see Penn State dominating. I see Penn State going ahead and Michigan clawing back uh, in a tough environment. So I, I feel good about this one. I agree with you. I think Penn State is a different team here. Um, this is another one when I look at the SP Plus, I kind of I kind of wrinkle my nose a little bit and wonder uh, what what uh, you know exactly how the numbers came out because. Um, Having watched this team in Ann Arbor over the last, you know, uh, under uh, or compete against Jim Harbaugh, th- the numbers don't seem to sync up, but uh, we'll see how it goes this year. Yeah, a couple other quick notes on that one. That one lands in the Thanksgiving weekend, uh, normally the Ohio State weekend. So that's kind of where we'll be. Uh, we'll be playing the sixth game that week of Thanksgiving, hopefully, as long as everything goes well. So. Weather-wise, I think it'll feel a little bit differently, right, of course. Another premium on uh, running the ball and, and making plays in, in the cold, most likely. And then also, the uh, last year, Minnesota's offensive coordinator from last year is now at Penn State. So they'll be, uh, they'll be RPO heavy, uh, similar to last year, what Minnesota was doing. And um, I expect to see Don Brown playing a lot of man defense again. Uh, against Penn State, so uh, as by the time we get to the sixth game, uh, ideally we've we figured out who our best cover corners are. I think some of those guys may be young guys, either freshmen or redshirt freshmen in the secondary. So by that point in time, I think our depth in the secondary will be a little bit more clear, and that's another reason I think Michigan's going to be successful against Penn State. I think they're going to be able to stop them. We're going to follow Penn State up with Maryland, which will be the uh, the last home game. Um, I'm wondering, uh, with the uh, stadiums being emptied, we as we've said before, is it going to matter that it's the last home game, um, depending on where it falls on the schedule? I think you made a great point that um, rather than home and away, the biggest factor at this point of the season may be the weather. We may see some really interesting things and uh, be relatively pleased that we're watching on television rather than uh, being seated in the stadium. So what do you foresee when Michigan plays Maryland? I I think that's going to be obviously a very emotional game with uh, senior day. Uh, The guys that have put a lot of time into the program are going to be celebrated. This year's kind of a free roll for eligibility. So truly there, there aren't really any seniors the way that the rules state right now. uh, Nobody is, everybody is capable of keeping this year of eligibility and going forward, but there's going to be guys um, that are kind of taking the field, running down the tunnel for the last time. I think Michigan's going to ride that emotional high. I still in the back of my mind have some, uh, 
have some interest about the the storyline from last year's Big Ten Media Days with uh, Mike Loxley kind of taking a dig at uh, Josh Gaddis. And I think by by the time we get to this point in the season, um, the offense could be humming along pretty good. And if the weather allows, um, Gaddis might be trying to run it up a little bit in that game. Just uh, just possible, you know. I'm not saying, not guaranteeing that it would happen, but that's uh, not only do I think that it might happen, I'm kind of hoping that it happens. So I picked Michigan to blow up and have their biggest offensive output in that first uh, December game at the Big House, and I think they're going to put it on Maryland pretty good. I, I picked 51 to six uh, in Week Seven. You know, it's interesting. We talk about Senior Day, right? Some of the few people who will be in the stadium all season long will be the players' families. So it will be interesting to see uh, what impact they have. And, and again, um, you know, it's a great opportunity. I'm glad that they're making that allowance for the players' families to attend. If anybody is going to attend, they should be the ones who have the opportunity and definitely going to be some emotions uh, no matter how it plays out. Uh, on that day. So we follow Maryland up with a trip to Columbus. And, uh, you know, this is one where, you know, I'm going to go back to the Maryland game. Again, I'm a big fan of the SB plus, but when you go back to the SB plus and look at the difference between Michigan and Maryland, it says Michigan by, by 18 points, right? 18.2. When you look at the SB plus, for Michigan, Ohio State, it says Ohio State by 16.2. Now, for me, that feels like a huge slap in the face to feel that the difference between Michigan and Ohio State is the same as the difference between Michigan and Maryland, or very close within a couple points. And I know when you look at the final score that uh, between the you know these two programs the last several years, I understand how you could feel that, but man, it it. Uh, it, 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 it's a harsh rebuke, um, you know, when you look at it in black and white on the numbers. How do you feel about uh, Michigan heading into this game? You know, I, I kind of mentioned this in my article also. I, I've been pretty optimistic with how Michigan stacks up against Ohio State um, for the past, you know, five years since, since the Harbaugh era started. Uh, I, I still have, I still maintain that optimism. Um, but what changed for me was seeing how how thoroughly Ohio State executes their offense and makes the adjustments and exploits what they know Michigan's going to do on defense. So um, I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think uh, Don Brown w- was wholly committed to man-to-man defense in 2018. It had been, you know, it had been pretty successful that season as he was riding 10 straight victories into Columbus. Um, last year's game, I think I liked the mixture of zone and what uh, Michigan did against Ohio State. But Justin Fields still threw over the top of those those deep safeties, and, and that was very frustrating. So I, I think they're getting closer to scheming the correct uh, the correct game plan for what Ohio State is doing. Um, the 2017 game, if you remember, Michigan had the right game plan to, to win that game, um, but but just could not continue to move the ball without making some big plays in the second half on offense. So 
to me, I think they stack up well enough to, to compete in that game. I just can't. I, I feel kind of like how you did last year. Um, I know that it's possible to win that game, but until I see it, I, I think I have to stop predicting it and making myself look look pretty foolish. So I, I picked Ohio State to win by 13, something like uh, 37 to 24. Weather's obviously a big variable. That second week of December, who knows what it's going to look like in Columbus. Um, so it could be a real low-scoring game. But I, um, I just I, I need to see that next guy for Michigan who's going to step up and make a big play when the time calls. Right? I, I don't know that Michigan's had that guy since Denard Robinson was on the roster. So let's hope that that guy is on the roster there's somebody on each side of the ball that's going to step up and answer the bell against the Buckeyes, make the big play and uh, play up to that level because they're, they're going to be rolling pretty well. I think Um, they're loaded on both sides of the ball and fields is, is highly likely to be putting together a Heisman campaign. So Michigan's going to have to really, really come out swinging and, and play their absolute best game to be, to stay close. But as it stands right now, I've got them falling short by about 13. Like you said, SP Plus thinks it'll be about 16. Uh, I think it's funny that you remember how I felt last year because I was thinking about that prepping for this podcast. And, you know, I think it was, you know, you got to show me. You know, that's where I'm at. And, you know, this year I, I feel similarly but different, right? I think we're at the point now where watching what's happening down in Columbus, okay, and, you know, we talked a lot about the season being delayed and um, Ohio State being very vocal about that uh, they want to play because they felt they were being shorted their national championship, right? And it's interesting to me that they seem to already be looking toward, well, when we get to the playoffs and and we go on our run – and, you know, that's a really dangerous place to be from a from a preparation standpoint. Um, and, and, yes, a certain amount of it comes from the fan base, and they definitely have, uh, you know, I guess uh, an expectation and uh, that they're going to be great and that, that, you know, that's, you know, again, the, the expectation there is that they're competing for a national championship every year and uh, that Justin Fields is the next guy who's going to take them there. But I think what what they're susceptible to is, uh, you know, you got to get through this season and you got to get by Michigan. And I know what the SV Plus says, but I also know how badly that uh, this Michigan team wants to beat Ohio State. You know, I keep hearing from people, from Michigan fans and national fans that, you know, It's different in Ohio. They just care more, right? And, you know, it's great to look at what the fans do, and it's great to look at how rabid the fan base is down in Ohio. And, you know, you've heard the stories, um, you know, even experienced a little bit. But really what it comes down to is the players, okay? And, you know, having seen uh, Michigan teams up close while we've had this opportunity to cover – I don't think they care any less, okay? I I really don't. So um, I think that uh, this team is going to go into that game, no matter what their record, and want desperately 
to put a beating on Ohio State and to win, whether there's five people in the stands or uh, or 110,000, okay? However, this game, wherever this game is played, whether it's played at midnight or 11 o'clock or, or 9 a.m., right, um, this game's going to be a battle. And, uh, you know, I, I've told a lot of people, listen, the hammer and nail aren't rivals, okay? And frankly, Ohio State's been the hammer for a long time. But I also remember, um, you know, I remember the John Cooper era where Michigan was the hammer and Ohio State was the nail, right? And at a certain point, it turns. And I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I certainly hope so. And uh, it is just my luck that the one year that we won't be down there, right, we won't have access as media, would be the one time that Michigan's going to beat Ohio State because I've been waiting my entire media career to see it, okay? So part of me, part of me thinks that uh, this is going to be the year just because we won't be there. And uh, if that's the case, I would be ecstatic for the team, for the coaches, and, and for the fans. And uh, however it comes, when, when Michigan beats Ohio State again, and it will happen again, um, I, I'll be very happy on that day, and I hope it's this year, and I hope that the SP Plus is, is wrong in this case. Yeah, I, I, I second everything you said, of course, wholeheartedly. I, I think that there is a foundation there that if Michigan can play well enough uh, within some of the, the the foundational concepts that they've that they showed early in the game last year, early in the game in 2017, um, Michigan can beat Ohio State. The, the gap is not uh, equivalent to what we've seen the last two years. You know, I, I think we just need we need the, the right mix of leadership and and moxie to kind of make those big plays in the key spots put ohio state on their heels a little bit and then and then kind of step on them um with the pressure on them right all the pressure is going to be on them in that game so uh if, if michigan can come out and kind of punch them in the mouth early um then that that could really turn quickly it it, it definitely can so again i'm not i'm I can't predict it until I see a little bit more of the expansion on, on Michigan having some success on both sides of the ball. But um, just for everybody to understand, Ohio State's not 50 points better than Michigan uh, on, a, on a year-to-year basis. Um, there, there is a clear edge in, in talent and in execution and, and maybe even in, in coaching execution the last few years. But – um, it's not like it can't be done. So why not this year? Here, here. So um, looking at how we hope the season to turn out, um, I, I've already stated that I think the strength of this team is the defensive line. Um, you know, no great – it doesn't take any great insight to see that, right? You can just look at the players coming back, how well they've played in the past, how well – um, Don Brown has coached him up and, uh, you know, expecting. I think uh, the other area that I'm really interested to see is how quickly the offensive line comes together. And, uh, you know, Ed Warner's done a great job. You know, Michigan had four guys drafted last year. But um, the thing that I look at at this line coming back is, you know, you have a, a fifth-year senior at center 
who has battled and fought, and this is his opportunity, right? You've had guys who've been injured in missed years. You've had guys who this is their opportunity. You had a guy who wasn't going to come back this year and decided to come back, right? So, you know, when you look at, um, you know, what you have there, I think that, um, you know, listen, Jalen Mayfield at, at tackle was going to have, uh, you know, going to be in a really good position, um, you know, if he didn't come back to, to go pro, right? He has that kind of skill. So he's back. Um, and when you look at uh, the way the, the rest of the line is coming together, um, you know, Andrew Vistardis, Andrew Stuber, Chuck Filaja, Jalen Mayfield, and Ryan Hayes. I mean, I think the biggest key to how successful this team will be is how quickly these guys can come together and and gel. And um, it, it's interesting because I, I was having this conversation with a few other people about, you know, there are things that we thought we knew about Jim Harbaugh, right? And you and I have talked about this in previous podcasts. And I think what we knew in air quotes is we were going to have great quarterback play, right? And, you know, we've had good quarterback play. But he really hasn't shown himself to be the quarterback whisperer that I think we thought he would be. You know, I expected recruits to be lined up to want to play quarterback at Michigan. And really, Joe Milton is is one of his first true recruits, right? Um, and hopefully he's going he's gonna, to, you know, uh, have a great season and, and, and be great. But I think the surprise I have is how great Ed Warner's done, right? putting pieces together year after year and the line play just elevating itself um, beyond anything that we saw under Rich Rodriguez or Brady Hoke. And uh, I have to say, you know, as a, as somebody who really follows offensive line play and, and really appreciates the work that those guys do in the trenches, um, I love to hear Ed Warner talk about offensive line technique and play. And uh, so I'm really looking at, you know, the same way Don Brown talks about defenses and is considered a genius and has put together this amazing defense, uh, you know, um, you know, one of the top defenses in the country year in and year out. Um, what I'm looking to this year is how quickly this offensive line group can come together. And if they can come together quickly <clears throat> with the running backs we have, you might see that might give Joe Milton and the receivers an opportunity to, to find a, a rhythm. And man, this, this offense has the opportunity to be really special. Yeah. I, to, to kind of support your point there, um, a, a big key is going to be kind of holding on to the football. I mean, the, the beginning phases of last year's season, Michigan was plagued by turnovers, whether they weren't, uh, protecting the quarterback correctly and he was getting sacked and fumbling the ball or the running backs all had had some kind of fumbling issue at different points through those first four or five games um on top of giving the other team the ball right what everybody knows about football turnovers will kill you it totally disrupted any type of repetition and rhythm that the offense could have built in those early games. So to kind of strengthen your point, if Michigan is able to continue rolling forward with some success in these early games, that 
offensive uh, line unit could really gel much sooner than what we saw uh, in years past, uh, especially compared to last year, even with uh, four NFL draft picks on that line. If Michigan's able to, to, to show that they can move the chains in this, uh, this game at Minnesota and then home against Michigan State, they might have just that many more reps together in game conditions than what they had uh, in the first two games last year uh, against Middle Tennessee and, and Army. So uh, it's another thing that, that I think is kind of under the radar um, when, when thinking about where we were last year. But uh, your point is absolutely correct, and I think it gets uh, kind of falling into a rhythm and Josh Gaddis as a second-year play caller uh, are also catalysts that are going to make that even even stronger. And, and we'll see the, the fruits of that early in the season, I think. So, Clint, what, would, what area would you like to see um, come together for Michigan to be successful this season? I, if I had to pick one, honestly, all over the place, I think we got to get back to making some big plays on defense. You know, where – where are we getting the big hits on the quarterback and causing fumbles, right? Who, who in the secondary is going to take the ball away, right? Who's going to high point the ball on, on some of these deep passes and, and create turnovers? Um, you know, are, are they going to use Cam McGrone kind of like uh, they use Devin Bush as a blitzer in the middle? And if they do choose to do that, then how are they going to account for those, those crossing routes using kind of a zone look behind it instead of man? So, for me, I think it's we got to start seeing some of those big plays on defense. Don Brown has been very successful by forcing three and outs and really causing havoc for the quarterback. But in the biggest games, and now we're talking, you know, the first game at Minnesota, you got Penn State and Wisconsin at home, and then, of course, down in Columbus. In those big games, who is going to step up and really create big, monster game shifting plays in the big moments is it going to be mcgrone uh, maybe dax hill uh could, could come up with some big plays in the back end of that secondary brad hawkins is going to likely find himself uh in in a spot to create some big plays at different points or will it be the same guys that everybody's pointing to right now up front quitty pay and aiden hutchinson you know if if michigan can get pressure from their 4d linemen and put those eight guys in coverage or or even rushing five with, with seven guys in coverage, if they can do that successfully and still get home to the quarterback, there is not an offense on this schedule that can handle that. So if they're making those big plays, the highlight reel plays, causing some turnovers and, and a lot of oh, just a little bit more havoc this year than we've seen in the past couple of years back to that 2016 level, then – um, that's why I'm really, really, really hopeful for, and would also I'll be really excited watching for uh, come this Saturday uh, in Minneapolis. All right. Well, let's hope we have a lot of great games to talk about this season. That's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes.
Go Blue.